Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Hey, everybody, we're here. <laughs> we got here eventually. The only good thing about getting your flight cancelled is you get £500 compensation. Yeah! I was hoping it would happen this morning, but there you go. It's so good to be back. Uh, we, we were working out that you know, we were supposed to come in March 20, and obviously that was cancelled. There was something happened. Uh, and, um, we, uh, and so we, we, it's probably about five years since we were here. So many of you won't know us. I'm married to Priscilla. She's speaking second service. We're both on tonight. Uh, we've got four daughters and 12 grandchildren, 11 girls and one boy. We've got a football team and a manager. It's fantastic. We all got a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser. Talking about getting older, I had a horrible experience last October in Canada. We were speaking at a conference and I was preaching the weekend in Winnipeg and I was waiting for the Saturday night service, somebody to pick me up at the hotel and this girl pulled in, she came into the foyer and she said, oh look, I'm sorry I'm a little bit late but I had to get a bigger car. She said, I've only got a small car. And I said, oh, why was that? She said, I was worried about getting an elderly man into a small car. <laughs> now, I don't mind being called older, but I'm not taking elderly, okay? Honestly, it's terrible. As Leon said earlier, there's been a whole, I suppose over the last few years, you know, life does suck something out of you. And what I want to talk about this morning is restoring your spiritual passion, restoring your spiritual passion. Now, please, this is not a cure-all for everything. Some of you may need more specialized help. I'm particularly referring to your spiritual life. There's a great verse in Romans chapter 11, or rather Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And Paul just slips this in and he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Let me read it again. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor or passion serving the Lord. Now, he must have written that because there is a danger at times that our passion for God slips. We leak. We leak. That's, a, that's what happens in life. And we've got to understand sometimes why it happens and what we can do uh, about it. I'm going to do a little bit of a, a lighthearted thing here. Okay, so it's a rhetorical. I want you to check the following. Okay, I'll quickly do it to you. If you sing, your mind and mouth switch to automatic pilot during worship. Number two, the last time God answered a specific answer to prayer is a distant memory. Number three, you hope nobody will ask you what the Lord's been saying to you during your quiet time. Number four, you wonder where the joy went. Number five, you've heard it all before. Number six, if you do, you read the Bible because you should, not because you want to. Number seven, we're getting to it now. You're a lot more excited about football, new car, holiday, and music than you are about Jesus. Number eight, you're not really sure that God loves you or you love him. Number nine, the things you were taught that were sinful and harmful, actually a lot more fun than following Jesus. And number 10, those happy, clappy, Christians get on your nerves. <laughs> Did I hear somebody shout house there? Bingo, <laughs> full house. Sometimes it happens to us. 
And the, you know, the reality is we lose our joy at times. And when you do that, you've got to have something that can restore that joy again. What is passion? Well, it's usually, me- it's usually measured in sexual terms, but passion extends to many things. And, and what you find is, you know, you get talking to people about things and, and they just get so excited about them. I, I had a train set when I was a teenager. And a couple of years ago, there was a, there was a train exhibition on in Belfast. I said, I'm going to go down to that. And I, I, I sort of got the bus down and I thought, oh, you know, let's see if it re- would rekindle something. Ten minutes into it, I phoned Priscilla, come and get me. There are a bunch of nerds in here. <laughs> they are, they're, exci- they're getting excited over, tra- over signals. I mean, seriously, I said, I don't want anybody to say I'm in here, so I'm going to wear a hat and I'm going to sneak out of here. But the reality is we all have a capacity for passion. It's a strong emotion. It can be joy. It can be anger. Tell you what, you know when you have it and you know when you don't have it. It seizes you. It stimulates human performance. Athletes win prizes because of it. You know, you can, you can have extraordinary achievement and it's a force that moves you beyond the ordinary. People rise to the top of their professions because of, of passion. Christians need passion. Christians need passion. We will never survive, never mind get the job done without it. It can be a quiet passion, but, but it's something that spurs us on. And, and, and you say, well, can your passion be restored? Of course it can. Of course it can. And everybody has the capacity for it. Please don't tell me that men don't have passion. I am a football fan. One, once this literally happened, uh, one of our young ladies got married to a, a gentleman out who wasn't a member of our church, and they started to come to the church, got married, came to church, and after three months, he said, I, I'm leaving the church. I said, why? He said, I don't like dancing. I said, well, we won't make you do it. Don't, don't worry about that. He said, he said, no, I don't like dancing. I don't like jumping up and down when people are excited. And I said, okay. Three months later, I'm at a Northern Ireland football match. He's sitting 10 rows in front of me. And guess what he's doing? The bouncy. Up and down, up and down. Please don't tell me men don't have passion. We all have a capacity for passion. It quickly dissipates and needs constant restoration. Let's look quickly at some of the things that drain us. Number one, being spiritually drained. Being spiritually drained. Now, we all know what it is to be drained mentally, spiritually, and physically. You know, you've given all that you can give and and you've nothing left to give. You're tired. Okay. Now, please, you're not a bad person. Priscilla and I were invited uh, to speak at the, the Free Methodist Bible Week in Canada once, just a few years ago. And we went for the full week. Do you know how many times we spoke? 23 times. And at the end of the week, they loved me so much. I'm sorry, Priscilla, so much. <laughs> that they said, they said, would you come back next year? I said, you know everything I know about the Bible. There's nothing left. I've told you everything I know. I mean, we were so tired on the way home, I thought I considered becoming a Buddhist for crying out loud. It was just, it was unbelievable. We were absolutely shattered. And you know, like Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament, you you wanna quit the very thing that God's called you to do. You become super critical of yourselves, yourself and others. And it happens to people who are particularly active in in, uh, service in the church. And here's what I would say to you. Don't make any life-changing decisions when you feel feel like that. 
Don't make permanent decisions when you're in a state of temporary emotional upheaval. You're tired. And honestly, it can drain you. It can be mental, physical, emotional. You get drained. Number two, and it follows on, I call it being spiritually dried out. It means running on empty. You know, you're, you're tired, but you keep on going anyway. And we all do that. But, but uh, you've, haven't, you've, had a, you've given a lot and you don't take time to get restored. And you keep on going even when you're drained. And you know something? It especially affects people with natural gifting. I, I, I've got a little phrase and I'll, I'll explain it to you. Charisma relates to gifting. Anointing relates to relationship. I'll, I'll explain that. In other words, the gift that you have, what you're good at, will keep, you lo- will keep you going long after the anointing of God has left you because you haven't had any time with Jesus. I remember when we were a, a young family, four little girls, and that we had to preach you know, three times on a Sunday and we'd be, you know, we'd, Phil and I, you know, trying to get the girls ready and inevitably something just went like that and, and we ended up having a blazing row. Not, not often, you know, just every other week, but not every week. <laughs> And I remember, I remember going, you storming out to the car one day, first service, and, and banging the horn. And Priscilla came out and said, Paul, next week, you get the girls ready, and I'll sit, I'll sit in the car and toot the horn, okay? We're going to switch, switch roads. And I thought, how am I ever going to preach after that? I went down on a Sunday morning. You know something? I was amazing. <laughs> I, I was... I was why? Because, I, because I've got a natural gifting. You find it. There's, there are people, there are musicians, and I'm not picking the musicians, but you know, it's because of what you do. You wake up and it's three o'clock in the morning and you can just go at it. But, but something leaves you unless you spend time with Jesus. And so you get drained and you move in your natural gifting and your talent keeps you going. Often it can lead to heart, action without heart, and susceptible to temptation and running on empty. And if you feel like that, you need your soul restored. Number three, being spiritually disappointed and discouraged. Disappointments lead to discouragement. And it happens in our lives. Events over which we have no control come in upon us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we despaired of life itself. Such was the pressure on us. Theologians have a look at that and they say, it looks as if he was under such pressure, he was depressed. There was a sense in which a a darkness overcame him. And he says, we despaired of life itself. We thought we were going to die. Weariness sets in and you want to give up. It can be the death of a close friend. It can be something in your family. It can be you've prayed for someone and nothing happened. Uh, it can be that you've, you feel a lack of appreciation after you've worked hard at something and you get disappointed. Somebody says an unkind word to you and suddenly something happens. You're disappointed in them and you feel discouraged. I used to say, it's okay being a servant of Jesus that somebody treats you like one. But it, but it, is, a, it is a stronghold of the mind and it says nothing will ever change. And you get intimidated by the, the bigness of the work that God has to do in you and through you. I remember years ago, uh, I got a call from my daughter Lucy, who was the president of the CU in Trinity in Dublin. And they'd organized uh, this mission and they'd spent so many months planning it and planning it. And it's a, it's a small, you know, in Dublin, a big university, small CU, maybe 50, 60 people. They worked their socks off. They're 
opening event was coming up and uh, I phoned her the next morning. I said, how'd you get on? She was in tears. She said, dad, nobody came. And honestly, you know, my heart absolutely broke for her. And I went into pastor dad mode, mode you know, well, you don't know the seeds that you've sown into people's lives and, you know, and started to try and, to try and get her to go. But she was disappointed. She was discouraged. And they had to somehow dig deep and ask God to come and do something. I think the devil has a plan to persuade us that we have nothing to offer society. The gospel doesn't work. And even if it did, they aren't interested. Let me tell you, it's a lie. It's a lie. One of the things that I've been doing, I'll talk about a little bit later, is running an alpha course on a Sunday night. Won't be able to come tonight. I'd hope that I would have been for sports people in Northern Ireland. Honestly, God is still working and changing lives. And if you feel disappointed and discouraged, you need your soul restored. You need your passion stirred up. Number four, being spiritually disillusioned. It's an interesting one, slightly different from discouragement and disappointment. Disillusionment is something, it's really hard to shift because you know you dream big dreams but they never seem to work out for you the way they did with the speaker and you, you pledge never to dream again. I remember my first experience with the, the, the late John Wimber. I went to his conference, uh, um, well, it must be 35, 40 years ago. And uh, he, he told stories about how that he'd be, oh, get on an airplane and God would give him a word of knowledge about someone and he would see something written over their forehead and he would talk to them about what the Lord had said and he would lead them to Christ and suddenly everybody in the cabin are singing Come By Ya or something like that, you know. And you're like, wow, it's amazing. That is incredible. I remember we got all excited about it and I came home and I said, I'm going I'm to do that. So I got the bus in the centre of Belfast and I went around looking at people like this here, <laughs> which in the mid-80s in Belfast was a dangerous thing to do, to be honest with you. And I, got, and I saw this man and I thought to myself, I've got a word from God for him. So I sort of, I chickened out and I, I saw him going into Marks and Spencers and I said, I'll wait five minutes and, and I'll follow him into Marks and Spencers and if he's still there, I'll know it's the Lord. So I go in He's still there, unfortunately, <laughs> for me. So I sort of, I, I took my life in my hand. I went up to him and I said, excuse me, sir. And he said, he said, yeah. I said, look, I'm a Christian and I've just been praying for you and I feel that God wants to say something to you. He said, okay. And I said, uh, it's just a, a message about your, your wife and two daughters. He said, I'm not married. I don't have any children. <laughs> I said, well, you might have someday and walked off, you know. I thought that was, was close enough. I thought, I'm never going to do that again. You kind of go, come on, how come this works for John Wimber and it doesn't work for me? And you do get a little bit disillusioned sometimes. You do get a little bit disillusioned sometimes. And, and you know, the devil comes and says, did God say? And here's what it does. It causes you to doubt the faithfulness of God. It undermines that, 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 that anchor and that foundation that we have in our lives. And you stop speaking to him. And people you put on a pedestal, you realize a feet of clay and you get a little bit disillusioned and something in your heart and spirit shrivels and you need your passion restored. You need your passion restored. Passion is killed often by disillusionment. And number five, 
being spiritually defeated. There is a weariness that comes when you fall into temptation. Listen, which of us have never sinned? Please, don't get me wrong. I'm not pointing the finger here. But you know, you find that promises made to God and to others are quickly forgotten. And some things you never contemplated doing 20 years ago become commonplace and daily in your life. Peter says he's ready to die for Jesus in the Garden of Eden and he goes to sleep in a very short time. Passion doesn't dwell in the heart of the defeated. Uh, Satan isn't called the accuser of the brethren for nothing, small b. He accuses us to God and God to us. And if you live a persistently defeated life, you need your soul restored. You need grace to overcome. You need grace to overcome. And wouldn't this be a great morning, whether you're a Christian or not, to actually make that turnaround? To actually say, you know something, there's something that I can do that with God's help, I can have my passion restored, my zeal restored, never, never giving up on my fervor, as Paul puts it, for the Lord. Let's call it passion for Jesus. Five critical choices I try to make. Let me, they all begin with C, okay? D and C. You, you can tell I was brought up in the brethren, wasn't you? P shooters and D shooters, they're all in there. But they do help people rem remember things. Number one, confession. And it's 1 John 4, verse 1. And it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody once said to me years ago, why would I talk to God about something that he already knows? Well, the reality is that when you confess something to someone, you invite them into the process to do something about it. I, 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 Priscilla and I, it sounds as if we have a terrible marriage, but we don't have a great marriage. And, uh, but, you know, uh, we, deal, we deal with tension in different ways. Priscilla's way, and she'll tell you this later, I hope, uh, she says, I call, it, I call it silent movie time, all picture, no sound. <laughs> so, so we stop speaking. There's something wrong. I know there's something wrong. She knows there's something wrong. She knows I know there's something wrong. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with me. And so, but until somebody, until somebody says, look, there's a problem here. Can we talk about it, love? I'm wrong. You invite them into the process. Honestly, that's what, that, that's what that's about. If we confess our sins, you come to God and you say, Lord, I've lost the joy. I've lost the passion. You admit it to him. You confess it. You talk to him about it. You own it. You, that's the first place to start. And honestly, there's something about that process when as he, we confess it. What does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. To do what? To cleanse us. Remember that, that story in the upper room, the Last Supper? Jesus takes off his outer garment. He gets a towel and he wraps it around him. gets a basin of water. And he goes to wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter. Peter says, no, you're not washing my feet. He says, you can wash all of me or none of me. Jesus says, no. And here's what he says to them. No, you're clean already, Peter. I have to wash your feet though. This isn't about becoming a Christian all over again. This is about when you need to get the daily grime off your body. You need to come and talk to the Lord. What does he do? He cleanses us. 
from all unrighteousness. What a place to start. Will you come and you say, Lord, I want to own this, but I want to bring it to you and invite you into the situation because he's the only one can restore your spiritual passion. Number two, communion. And it's very simple, but it simply means that you will keep your heart and your life right before God. You're going to, you're going to have a relationship with him that will not be perfunctory or distant. And you'll invite God into your life and, and, and you will have something in your life that will connect you on a meaningful basis to the Lord. Now, we used to call it in the old days a quiet time. We used to call it all sorts of things. But it's somewhere in your life and possibly on a daily basis where you actually take time and you begin to talk to God and you invite him into your life and you maybe read the Bible and you maybe talk. Now, here's my, here's my point today. I'm not going to be prescriptive in what, what it looks like for your life because it looks different for me and it does for you. And, and, and uh, we all, because we all express our spirituality in different ways and we've got to be careful about putting something on people. But, but, you know, I mean, for instance, you know, when Priscilla and I got married all those years ago, we didn't have a television. It wasn't, it wasn't duragur in our society, in our, you know, it was, it was something we just, we just said, we're not going to have a television and we're going to take one or two nights a week and we're going to pray for two or three hours every night. You know, you don't, it's true, this is true, okay. Uh, and, uh, and it lasted about two weeks, it lasted about two weeks. Because Priscilla said that my prayers were short and superficial, and I said hers were long and boring. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I often caricature, Priscilla's up next, so I have to be careful, her prayers are going like this here, and people do pray like this. It's not a man or a woman thing, but it, it just happens. You know, Priscilla will pray, Lord, thank you that um, I met Sandra at the school gates today. At three o'clock, it might have been 10 past three actually. <laughs> because just before I came out, my dad had called and he hadn't been too well lately. He's got a new doctor. He just came over from Scotland, lovely guy. Uh, but he, does, he hasn't got dad's meds regulated yet. And, uh, <laughs> and everything in me is going, please make it stop. Does anybody know anybody who prays like that? Yeah, of course you do. You're, you're elbowing somebody beside you, aren't you? Of course you are. But it's not, here's the point. It's not wrong, except when I'm in the room. <laughs> All I'm trying to point out is that we, we, we express that in, a, in our different ways. I, I, have a, I have my Bible. I have a notebook. I write you know, my own commentaries on Scripture. That's just what I do. Priscilla does the same. She's got a journal. She writes, but she writes poetry. She's a wonderful poet. She writes poetry. She reads poetry. You should say, Paul, what do you think of this? It was written by St. John the Divine who sat at the top of a pole for 40 years. Would I read this here? And I'm going, who wants to hear anything from a lunatic who sat at the top of a pole for 40 years. <laughs> anyway, don't to do that, okay? But what I'm saying is this here, what do you do? What do you do on a, on a regular basis that connects you with the life of Jesus? Have you got a place, a time? Do you light a candle? Do you listen to music? Do you read scripture? Something that enables you to make that confession and to say, Jesus, 
I want to have my root, my, my heart and my roots, roots in you. So I ask you today, is your devotional life strong? Are you in touch with God? Are you inspired? I was in a, a friend of mine who owns an orchard in South Armagh. He's passed away now. And I was walking the land with him one day and, and I said, Leslie, what makes a good apple? And he said, Paul, take care of the tree and the apple will take care of itself. And I, go, I said, I need to write that down. That'll preach. I can preach that. And he said, I said, what do you mean? He says, Paul, look, if you, if you trim the branches, keep the insects off your, off your tree and make sure it's watered and fed, come the end of August and September, you'll get a great apple. Don't need to worry about the apples. Take care of the tree. The tree is your relational, devotional life with Jesus. You take care of it and you find that the fruit of the Spirit will come out of your life and your heart. Number three, call and commitment, call and commitment. I remind myself that even as an elderly man, God called me and I am committed to that call. I still get excited about God wants to do in my life. He's going to accomplish things in me and through me. I, my father was the youngest of 13, one of the smaller Irish families. <laughs> and there were Protestants as well. Can you believe that? Uh, but Uncle Leslie's somewhere in the middle and on his 90th birthday, he's passed away now. He drove himself down to the party we had for him and I said to him, Uncle Leslie, what gets you up in the morning? He said, Paul, I wake up every day and I go, who can I talk to today about Jesus? And I remember thinking at the time, I, when I grow up, I want to be like that. And there's something very powerful about it. I feel that call more stronger than I ever did before. It doesn't look the way it did in the past. In fact, it's, a, it's probably about a year and a half ago, I got a call from UK Chaplaincy and they said, Paul, listen, we've got a vacancy uh, in UK Chaplaincy, would you be interested? It's for, it's for a club called Linfield. Linfield, I've supported Linfield since I was a boy. I'm a season ticket holder, I'm a member. I said, I'll need to pray about that. Yes! <laughs> it has been absolutely wonderful. I am living the dream. I go in, we were beaten at penalties yesterday in the quarterfinal of the Irish Cup, honestly. So I'm going to miss tomorrow. And then I'll go in on Tuesday. Have breakfast for the boys, have uh, do training. Well, when I say do training, you know, I watch them. And then and I, have, and I have lunch with them and then I take somebody out for coffee. We're running an alpha course for sports people on a Sunday night. It has been the most incredible thing. And you, I, did I ever envisage doing it? No, I didn't. But it's got me in touch with a lot of young men that I never would have had contact with. It's been fantastic. I learned a lot of new words, by the way. <laughs> has anybody ever seen Love Island? <laughs> oh yeah, you have, haven't you? Well, I've never watched it in my life, but everybody in that club watches it. So I said, I'm going to watch Love Island. So I got Priscilla down. Uh, and uh, the two of us sat there and we said, we put Love Island on, we had a look at it. And after five minutes, Priscilla goes, I'm not watching this. And, after, and she says, and what's more, neither are you. <laughs> it was research purposes only, I can assure you. But you know something? There's not one person in this room or online, or in the lo different locations that God isn't committed to using. He's got a call in your life and you need to be committed to that call. And when you're committed to that call, you find your joy starts coming back again and your passion for God. I read this recently and I loved it. In global mission, the role of extraordinary people doing exceptional things is probably far smaller than we imagine. But the role of ordinary people doing everyday things is certainly far greater than we imagine.
And number four, community. Number four, community. I believe the church is still the hope of the world. I, honestly, that's why I'm so thrilled to see so many people here this morning. Well done. For folks who are watching this live stream and online, there are valid reasons why people can't come. We, we fully understand that. Health reasons and people feeling a little bit nervous still. We get that. But there's something that happens when the body of Christ comes together. It's interesting for me that in Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, when he, he says this on two occasions, he says, he said, you are... Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, when he uses the word you, on one occasion he means you as an individual. And he, he says to them, listen, that's why you're to abstain uh, from immorality and to be holy people. Why? Because when you come to Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the Holy Spirit, comes in and lives within you. And he says, so your body is the dwelling place of God. But on the other occasion, he uses it. He uses it in connection with the whole church. And it's, there's an old bell, the plural. What's the plural of, of you in, in West Midlands? Use, we say use in Belfast, use or usins. And that's, that's the sense of it. And here's what he does. He, he says, he, he uses this particular word when talking about temple. And he doesn't use a word of, a, of the temple, you know, the precincts and the outer grounds. He uses a particular word that means the ultimate sacred holy place. And what he's doing is this. He's saying that under, in the Jewish tradition, the holy of holies was the dwelling place of God. He transfers that to the body of Christ. And he says, instead of a building being the, the, the dwelling place of God, he says, it's when the church comes together, God is in the midst there's something that happens when God gathers his church together. God is here this morning. And that's why he can transform a life. No matter how joyless, no matter how distant you feel from God. As Leon said, the resurrection has brought this point to us where we come to God because he lives. He can impart that life to us and restore that joy to us. I believe in the church. Thank you for being here. We can't make it without each other. We can't do it without each other. People who you love, who you give the right to speak into your life. It's an incredible privilege to be part of a local church. And finally, our character. The problem is this, that if you ignore those four things, it'll, your, your character will suffer. If, you, if, you're not, if you're not on a regular basis coming into the presence of Jesus, confessing what's going on in your life, being faithful to the call and be committed to what God has called you to do, and you're not committed to regularly coming together, it's going to affect, something's going to shift in your life. Something happens. And so here's what I say. I'm going to continue to build my character. Character has to be done piece by piece, choice by choice, and submission to the Holy Spirit. And here's, let me give you a couple of pointers about character. Just, just simple ones. Live what you preach. Live what you preach. Be sure your Christian profession where you work is consistent with what you say and how you live. Number two, do what you say. If you promise to do something, do it with a good grace. Number three, be honest with others. Don't cover up and misrepresent the facts because your credibility will not easily be repaired. 
Number four, put what is best for others ahead of what is best for you. Somebody once said, manipulation is getting others to do things which benefit you. Motivation is getting people to do things which will benefit themselves. People will soon know if you did it for your good or for theirs. And be transparent and be vulnerable. If you close others out, you won't get help and you won't get hurt. Open up. You invite the presence of God and the presence of other people into your life. Now, I recognize that when you give a talk like this in 25 minutes, you go, oh my word, where do I start? Why don't we start with that confession? Just admitting, honestly. I've lost the joy a bit. I've been leaking a lot recently. I feel drained, dried out, a bit discouraged. And I need my passion restored. If that's you, either online, in the locations, or in this room, I want to pray for you now. Would you stand? Would you be honest and say, okay, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to start today. So wherever you are, if you want to just honestly say, I've lost a bit of the joy, not be everybody, would you stand where you are and give me a chance to pray for you? It's a great place to start, isn't it? You just own it. You just admit it. And you say, you do those 10 things that I, you read out to start, Paul, put my hand up. But when you stand like this here, what you're saying is, actually, I don't want to be like that. I want to invite Jesus into it. And I want him to, I want him to come and restore that joy. So today, let's pray together. Today, Father, I want to thank you for everyone who stood. And those who couldn't just quite make it, you know their hearts, Lord. There's a cry in their heart. They want their passion restored. Father, some people will be simply flat out, emotionally, spiritually, mentally drained, sometimes through things which are no fault of their own. Father, as they take time today and tomorrow and invite you into their heart and their lives again, would you restore their passion, Father? Some are discouraged. Some are even disillusioned. Don't know how they got here this morning, but they're here. God brought you here because He wants you to bring you to the point where you say, Lord, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to ever be lacking in spiritual fervor. I want my zeal and my passion for Christ restored. Father, would you begin to do something right now as they invite you in to their relationship and say, Lord, this is where I am. I've no strength of my own, but the power of Christ can change me. And maybe you have, you're not a Christian. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't this be a wonderful day where you simply say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I'm saying yes to you today. In his name, amen. Please be seated. Let's say a prayer just now as I invite the band to, they're here. <laughs> Father, thank you for your goodness and your love to us. May the Holy Spirit restore unto us the joy of our salvation. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Thank you.